The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Today's broadcast is pre-recorded. Take heed, you senseless ones among the people. You fools, when will you become wise? Does he who implanted the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches men lack knowledge? The Lord knows the thoughts of a man. He knows that they are futile. Blessed is the man you discipline, O Lord, the man you teach from your law. You grant him relief from days of trouble till a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not reject his people. He will never forsake his inheritance Judgment will again be founded on righteousness, and all the upright in heart will follow. Who will rise up for me against the wicked? Who will take a stand for me against evildoers? Unless the Lord had given me help, I would soon have dwelt in the silence of death. When I said, My foot is slipping, Your love, O Lord, supported me. When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought joy to my soul. Can a corrupt throne be allied with you, one that brings on misery by its decrees? They band together against the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my fortress. And my God, the rock in whom I take refuge, he will repay them for their sins and destroy them for their wickedness. The Lord our God will destroy them. Psalm 93, reading from verse 8 through verse 23. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I've been speaking to you about men who have made a difference. Men of great courage who trusted in the Lord their God. I talked with you about Ulysses Sam Grant, the great victor of the U.S. Civil War, a man who did not give in to his discouragement, his despair, 
his fatalism. His precious praying Methodist wife didn't give in and give up. She prayed longer and harder. I think she prayed him from a broken heart in 1860 when he was selling firewood to support his family in St. Louis and then humbling himself at the age of 38, going to work for his father out of utter desperation, working for his father as a store clerk with his boss, his little brother. Within five years of that date, Sam Grant was commanding the entire United States military and won the Civil War. And within 10 years, Grant was president of the United States of America. God used this man, Sam Grant. He was broke. He was depressed. He was an outcast. He was shunned by society. He was at the end. But God had a purpose. God used him to save the United States of America. I also told you the story of of another man, Winston Churchill, a man who fought in numerous British wars around the turn of the century, then was forced to resign in shame from the British Navy in the midst of World War I, He was disgraced for causing the Allies a quarter of a million casualties, including 40,000 of his own British men dead. Could you imagine being responsible for the deaths of more than 40,000 of your fellow countrymen? Had that been the end of the story, he would have gone down in history as a failure. Had he given in to circumstances? Had he given in to fatalism? But he had an inner sense that God wanted to use him. God, he said, preserved his life and had a purpose for his life. I want to tell you today, God has a purpose for your life, and it is not to serve the devil. It is to be a righteous man of God, a righteous woman of God, a righteous young person of God, walking clean with absolute confidence in the word of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, directed by the Spirit of God. That's God's purpose. There is a war on, and this war must be fought on our knees. I love the story of of John Wesley. It's a museum today, but his family home. There is a place on a slab of rock in his study where he prayed. And it said there are worn indentions in that rock from where his knees were constantly on that rock. He prayed on a rock because Jesus was his rock. John Wesley, through the Methodist Church, has done more than almost any other single pastor in the history of America. 
to turn the hearts of men and women to Jesus. Well, this man, Winston Churchill, after the biggest military blunder of the 20th century, 40 years old, no reputation, he came from a very wealthy family, very socially accepted, but not now. He was broken. He was humbled. Can I say this? God almost always uses broken and humble vessels to accomplish his work. He regained his reputation by fighting in the trenches of France during World War I. And then by the mighty hand of God, he was chosen to lead the free world against the Nazi fascists of World War II, just two decades later. Winston Churchill was a great hero. He risked his life to reclaim his name and to live out what he said was God's will. And Winston Churchill botched the Battle of Gallipoli of World War I, the great failed invasion. Despite the shame and embarrassment, somehow Churchill did not forget that God was in charge of his life. He knew God had a plan. Had he not obeyed the word of the Lord, much of the world today could be Nazi Germany. You may not realize it, but Germany could have won the war. For several years, Hitler was unstoppable. I then told you the story in part of Reese Howells. He was a prayer warrior. He put absolute confidence in the Word of God. He believed that the Word of God, the Bible, was absolutely reliable. He believed that it had full authority. He spent hours, this coal miner, this young man, spent hours reading the Word, hours every day. God called him to the mission field after the Welsh revival, and there revival broke out wherever he went. But then if you look at the word that God spoke to this man, he was the one who prayed through at the Welsh college that he founded the backside of the victory of World War II. It cost him his life. It cost him his life. In the book, Reese Howell's Intercessor by Norman Grubb, Mr. Howell's is recorded receiving a new word from God. 
where God laid direct responsibility on him for reaching every creature with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this was not just agreeing in a general way to preach the gospel. It meant that he and all who took it with him would be bond servants for the rest of their days to this one task, to pray in intercession, to go, to serve others, others who go, to be responsible for seeing that every creature on the face of the earth hears the gospel of Jesus Christ. The way this commission was given to Mr. Howells in concrete terms was that in in the next 30 years, the Holy Spirit would find 10,000 channels from all over the world, men and women whom he would enter and who would allow him to take complete possession of them for this task of reaching all of mankind with the gospel. Now, finance would be needed in great abundance. But the one who gave millions to David for the temple could give the same to those who were building a far more precious temple, building not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. He gave his servant that word in Deuteronomy 28.12, The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasury, and thou shalt lend unto many nations. And with that word was the promise to him of a gift of 10,000 pounds that would be a confirmation of this commission, this covenant that God asked Reese Howells to enter into. He called it the Every Creature Vision. He brought it before the staff and the students of the Welsh College, the Bible College, on New Year's Day, 1935. And they gave their entire New Year's Day to prayer and fasting. The presence of God was felt in a very real way, and while they did not minimize the enormity of the task, a deep and growing conviction took possession of everyone there that God was going to do a new thing. It was a conviction that as really as the Savior came down to the world to make an atonement for every creature, so the Holy Spirit had come down to make that atonement known to every creature and that he would complete it. In a new sense, the world began to be their parish. They began to open for God to lay any prayer on them which would further the reaching of every person with the gospel of Jesus. They became responsible to intercede for countries and nations as well as for individual missionaries and societies. The college truly became a house of prayer for all nations. Their prayers were strategic. Then they were turned in their prayers for the great work of defeating Nazism because they viewed Nazism as a wicked plan of the devil to block the flow and work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Well, today, I also see that our United States government, our leadership, the culture of America has positioned itself in such a way as to block the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christians are being killed in many nations. And in those nations where they're not being killed, they are being persecuted, even as it is here in America. I'm going to tell you a story today about a man who has also spent much time in the prayer closet. And then at the call of the Holy Spirit, began to do the mundane things, having no idea what God was about to do. Now, I suspect that this man had never heard of Reese Howells. Perhaps he had. I don't know this man personally. <clears throat> but I would guess, <clears throat> pardon me, that he had never heard of Reese Howells. He did not know that Reese Howell's intercession was one for financing the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did not know that he was destined by God to be the financer of the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this 21st century. But he was trained, he was disciplined, he was prepared. The man I want to talk to you about just briefly today is a man by the name of David Green. He's 73 years old, a warrior for sending the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. Now, I don't share this story to in any way exalt a human being. I share this story with you to show you <clears throat> that in God's great power, he brings about what he chooses, and he uses humble instruments who are willing to submit and be disciplined by him. <clears throat> Men and women who are willing to find their hiding place in the fortress of Jesus Christ. This man, David Green, lived as a child in a small town in Kansas. He was a country boy. That may not mean much to you, but it means a great deal to me. I, too, was a country boy. <clears throat> I grew up working hard on a farm. There's something about hard work, principles and character being taught in the family that shapes a man or woman's life. And God can use that kind of man or woman. He was growing up on the plains in 1940s. He was a part of a family that was utterly dedicated and given over to the Lord. A family that knew the reality of hard work. He moved with his family to Texas and then finally to Oklahoma in 1950. He eventually 
would start his own business. He grew up in a pastor's family. The pastor's family gave him no rich connections. He didn't have a an internship at the U.S. Senate like Bill Gates. No, this man, David Green, picked cotton and worked in Texas and, on, and in Oklahoma on farms. He pitched in financially to help his family of eight. His father was enabled by God to raise six children and support his wife while pastoring small churches. Now, in that day, I know from my own experience that pastors did not negotiate with their church for a salary. They do the same thing I now do. I pray and I stand by faith that God will provide for all the necessities. And he moves in the hearts of people to provide. That's why on this radio broadcast, I don't do fundraisers. I don't sell things. Instead, I say this broadcast is sponsored by Jesus. And he moves in the heart of his people to give tithes and offerings to cover the expense. This man, David Green, grew up in a family where they lived on the kindness of the people of God. He did not have a set salary. The members of the church would sometimes bring food to their door, maybe a chicken. (laughs) I remember as a child, my father was functioning as a a lay pastor of a church. That was his full-time job. And I remember many mornings being gathered together as a family. We always had morning worship and evening worship where the family would gather and Dad would take down his big Bible and he would read the Bible to us. Then he would talk with us about what it meant. And then we would get on our knees before the Lord and the family as a family would pray. My dad would go first, my mother would go second, my oldest brother, then my next brother, and then finally I would pray. Those were precious times. And I remember many times dad would gather us together and say, we don't have any food in the house for today. But the cupboards of God are full. Let's pray that God will send us food today. And we would begin to pray. And then Dad would go out about the work of ministry, visiting with the families, visiting the lost, giving Bible studies, with absolute confidence that we would have dinner that night. And sure enough, the Lord would send someone by with groceries for the Greenlee family. I don't know if that happened in the Green family. But I understand what it is to live that way. And when you live that way, 
you treasure things that today we just take for granted. That close family, that praying family, that family that depends totally upon the Lord, that family that reads the scripture together. Every morning when I would get up to get ready to go to school, our school bus left at 7 a.m., there were some times during that time when I would have to go out and run the trap line that I had because that's one of the ways I made money. But every morning, regardless of what time I had to get up, I would go to the living room, a small 900-square-foot house, and their dad would be in his chair with the big Bible open on his lap, reading, weeping over the scriptures, praying, crying out to the Lord. I suspect that, that David Green had a similar experience in his family. David worked through high school many hours every week helping to supply finances for the family. He and his brothers and sisters even worked washing dishes in the school cafeteria in order to pay for their lunches. It's always been of great interest to me to see who God chooses to do his work. How did this young man who who came from a very poor background ever get the idea that he could not only make it in this world with no money, no connections, not only make it, but become one of the richest men in America who is now fulfilling the every creature vision? That money did not come from David Green. And David Green acknowledges that all that he possesses belongs to the Lord. He made a covenant with God that his business would belong to Jesus. Well, I know how he came from nothing to be very wealthy. He came because God could trust him with those finances. He would follow directions, and he would follow directions because he had character that was built in, character that came through struggle and hard work, character that came from a loving father and mother, a character that came by the inward dwelling and baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't come out of humanism. He came out of the heart of God. Do you understand? There must be a total change in the culture of America. Today we come out of our universities. David Green never went to college. Today we come up full of our human ideas and our ego. David Green came full of the Holy Spirit because God was commissioning this man without his even knowing that God was commissioning this man because another dear brother had prayed through and gotten the victory for the finances for the work of the gospel. David Green simply responded to God 
and did not grow discouraged when times were hard because he was raised in hard times. He was raised with basic principles in place, Christian principles, Judeo-Christian principles of honesty, hard work, a day's work for a day's pay. He grew up learning these fundamental principles that America was built on, that today our nation is leaving behind, has left behind. He had no sense of entitlement. He didn't think the world owed him anything. He knew Jesus had already given him everything. This man today is worth billions. Not millions, but billions of dollars. And he's the single largest donor to Christian causes living today. Now, unlike other billionaires like Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or the Donald Trump, all of the money that this man has came from the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. David Green had a family and a faith disciplined by God in hard work in an absolute confidence in the word of God. Coming out of a family that was with a mother and a father, not Steve and, and John. He didn't come out of a homosexual family. He came out of a, a family, a marriage blessed by God. It matters whether there's a mother and a father in a family. America is being broken with our young people, and we are reaping the harvest now of single parents, of divorce, of wanton living, of having no principles, of having destroyed the very foundation of America, throwing the Bible out of school, throwing prayer out of school, secularizing our society, removing monuments of the Ten Commandments, and we're reaping the harvest of bloodshed and mayhem. America has lost its moral base. But this man, David Green, grew up with a father who was a Pentecostal preacher. Now, sometimes children grow up in a family and they rebel against their parents. They rebel against the teaching of the gospel. I'm sure that David Green had to struggle personally with whether or not he was going to follow Jesus Christ. There are no grandchildren for God. Each of us stands before God. Each of us are called to be children of God. But David's brothers became pastors. His sisters married pastors. 
This was a family that honored God. The biblical roots afforded him the ability to work in the world system and not be touched by it. He was totally saturated as a young man in the scriptures and in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. After high school, David worked for some retail stores and he became fascinated by the idea that he could buy something for 10 cents and turn around and sell it for a quarter. By age 21, he took out a $600 loan to start his business, making miniature frames in his garage. At the age of 30, he officially started what is now a multi-billion dollar company, Hobby Lobby. Now, don't think that it was all smooth sailing or ever has been smooth sailing. In 1985, Hobby Lobby expanded rapidly, perhaps some said too rapidly. It seems that David Green got a little bit ahead of himself, growing too big too fast and incurring debt, and shortly... Green's company appeared to be headed toward bankruptcy. The Forbes magazine, Brian Solman wrote in Forbes, David Green over-leveraged the business and diluted the inventory with off-brand expensive products like luggage, ceiling fans, and gourmet foods. This was a tough time. The bankers warned him he was headed to bankruptcy. But David Green did not give up in failure. He couldn't. He didn't know it, perhaps. I haven't asked him the question. I would love to meet this man and ask him some questions about how God directed his steps. But at this point, with his company seemingly ready to go bankrupt, Green officially declared God to be in charge of the business and that God was the owner of Hobby Lobby. He closed his underperforming stores and sought cheaper financing. Some people had to be laid off. Some had to have their wages reduced. These are hard facts that occur in the real world, in a world where you cannot print money. In the real world, outside of Washington, D.C., you can only take on so much debt. You can't paper over your mistakes. There were no taxpayer bailouts available for Hobby Lobby. Mr. Green faced these facts and took it down to brass tacks. He found solutions. More important than the practical moves he made was the clear and definitive decision to dedicate the business to the Christian values he was raised with, a complete reverence and submission to the will of God and the principles found in the Holy Scriptures. Green's son said that on the near failure of the company, quote, Dad asked God, is this company going to survive? God, you're going to have to intervene. God, this is your company. I give it to you. If you want it to survive, it's up to you. 
Oh, God wanted that company to survive. David Green's great purpose in life is financing the gospel of Jesus Christ in accord with the intercession won some years earlier, 1936, by Reese Howells. David Green may not know it, but he and Reese Howells' lives are tied together in a covenant made in heaven. When God answered Reese Howells and said, I will choose 10,000 people to reach the world with the gospel. And it had to be financed. There's a Bible app, version Bible app. It's downloaded free on your cell phone. The version Bible app does not cost users one cent, but it costs David Green enormous sums of money. This app, the Holy Bible, God's Holy Word, he sends to people. Its translation on this site is from the NIV, the King James Version, New Living Testament, ESV. I looked it up. There are more than 30 translations, various translations of the Bible on this app www.bible.com Several of the translations on the Bible app have full audio for all 66 chapters of the Bible. You can listen to it on tablets, iPads, cell phones, laptops, your home computer. Many millions of people listen to the word on the Bible app driving even to work. It's been downloaded for free by hundreds of millions of people worldwide. This endeavor has cost Green millions, well into the tens of millions. The Bible app by Uversion is funded by David Green and was created by the pastor of Life Church Television. God even preserved the domain name, just www.bible.com. David Green stepped up in response to the call of God to fund this digital Bible app. And now hundreds of millions of people across the globe constantly use it. I'm one of those users. Green does not consider himself the owner. He does not consider himself wealthy. He says it all belongs to the Lord God of heaven. I know that David's obedience to the Holy Spirit has come out of how he was raised with that absolute devotion. I remember sitting at the age of six or seven years in a revival meeting, sitting there with tears running down my face, repenting for my great sins. Sins like reading the comics, 
lying to my brothers, being angry with my parents. You might say, those are not great sins. Oh, yes, they are. Those sins had to be dealt with, or I could not have ever done the work that God has called me to do on Pilgrim's Progress. David Green had to meet face-to-face Jesus Christ and be filled with the Holy Spirit, be disciplined by his father and his mother, be absolutely transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ, or he would not have ever given up his wealth. And of course, if he had not been in that place, Jesus would not have ever used him. David Green gives hundreds of millions of dollars along with great time and energy. It's not easy for Green to run a business with thousands of employees making billions of dollars and still do all the work of ministry. His annual revenue is well into a billion dollars per year. It's not business wisdom that comes from the flesh. It's business wisdom that has come to him out of the Holy Spirit. This Bible app, for example, in the flesh, doesn't make sense. The more successful it is, the more it costs him. Now, the next big project he's working on is supposed to open in Washington, D.C. in the spring of 2017. It's right in the heart of the nation's capital. It's a Bible museum. He wants this Bible museum to inspire confidence in the absolute authority and reliability of the scriptures. America is in such a desperate place because of our ignorance of the Word of God. This 430,000 square foot, eight-story building is just two blocks from the National Mall and three blocks from the United States Capitol building. This is a tribute to God in the middle of D.C. It is not a taxpayer-funded operation. As I've researched... Some say it'll cost over $400 million, but others are saying it will eventually cost him more than $800 million. When the Green family, founders of the U.S. retail chain Hobby Lobby store, purchased their first biblical artifact in November 2009. They never expected to assemble in only a few years what is now one of the world's largest private collections of rare biblical texts, objects, and artifacts. It's known as the Green Collection. It's a compilation of around 40,000 objects, including some of the rarest and most significant biblical texts and artifacts ever assembled under one roof. Highlights of the Green Collection include 
cuneiform tablets dating from the time of Abraham, Dead Sea Scroll fragments, biblical papyri and manuscripts, Torah rolls, and rare printed Bibles. Green said, quote, This nation is in danger because of its ignorance of what God has taught. There are lessons from the past that we can learn from. The dangers of ignorance of this book. We need to know it. If we don't know it, our future is going to be very scary. End quote. Now the Freedom From Religion Foundation, these are atheistic activists, are very, very concerned about this museum. The New York Times wrote, such sentiments have stirred fears about the museum among groups such as the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which promotes separation between church and state. I think it's a great threat. Well, David Green is a great threat to the atheists and to the hedonists, to the gay agenda, to the socialist agenda. He is a great threat. And if they contest his plans, and by the way, they're not having an easy time of it. I talked with an, a project manager, construction, who said he'd spoken with an engineer involved, saying that they were meeting great difficulties. I urge you, pray for the Bible Museum and pray for David Green. He's on the front line swinging his sword as hard as he can. But David Green does not back down from a fight with the devil. If it conflicts with his faith and his belief in Jesus Christ and the moving forward of the gospel, he is in for the fight. There's a piece in the New York Times that described the legal victory that Green and his family just had that cost him millions of dollars in legal fees against the Obama administration mandate on employers providing health care coverage that conflicts with personal religious beliefs. Green took the Obamacare lawyers all the way to the Supreme Court, a court not noted for challenging much of the leftist progressive movement. The New York Times wrote, the evangelical Christian family that owns Hobby Lobby, the chain of craft stores, made history two weeks ago when the Supreme Court overturned the Obama administration's mandate that family-owned companies must provide contraceptive coverage to their employees. Well, why didn't David Green just obey the government without question? Why would he dare challenge the Obamacare in court how could he think he could make a difference in the powerful moving force of Obamacare when everybody else seems to be backing away from it except for a few Christians? Well, under the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, he went to war with Obamacare. It was a Goliath and David battle. He challenged, and he won. 
the Supreme Court exempted Hobby Lobby and others from what they believed was unjust. Green spent more than legal fees, time, and energy to fight what he and many others viewed as an attack on the Christian faith. Hobby Lobby was faced with a $1.3 million fine per day from the IRS if he did not comply with the Obamacare mandate. He stood up in the face of that dire threat that would have severely hurt his business. And God gave him the victory. In a 5-4 to four decision, the court ruled that companies like Hobby Lobby are protected by the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. It was only Justice Ginsburg who dissented. An appalling woman without principle. David and Barbara Green married for now more than 50 years, have also been utterly committed to delivering millions of hard copy Bibles in Mandarin Chinese to China. David and Barbara Green have already put over 1 billion hard copies of various pieces of Christian literature and homes in more than 100 countries. I don't have time today to go into all the Green family's Christian giving. It goes on and on and on. The Greens are the financial underpinning of dozens of ministries. Their three children work in the family business and in the family ministry, which is giving, giving, and more giving. Green's net worth is reportedly north of $5 billion today, but Green remains a humble servant of God, not impressed by himself. He does not claim his own money is his. He knows it all belongs to God. Hobby Lobby has over 10,000 employees in over 500 in over 500 stores spanning coast to coast. It has over $1 billion in annual revenue. It is one of the most successful Christian businesses in history. This is the tool that Reese Howells won the intercession for to fund the gospel in the last day. David Green responded to the call of the Holy Spirit to be sold out, not to be in and out, but to be totally given to God. He is unimpressed by things. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. It's clear that fatalism, unbelief, discouragement, giving up, sinking into the morass of the American culture, not reading the scriptures, not being sold out for their authority and their reliability, becoming more and more like the modernity of our day, churches turning to entertainment, churches turning to foolishness. In the midst of all of that, 
God raised up a man who would honor the Lord his God with everything he had. God can use people who will walk under his discipline, who will be transformed into the likeness of Jesus, who will be made righteous, who will obey the word of the Lord. This Pentecostal father, preaching to maybe a hundred people, having no wealth and no money and no prestige, this precious father produced a son who has financed the work of God worldwide. His name was Pastor Walter Green of Oklahoma. I honor the name of Pastor Walter Green as an unknown soldier of Jesus Christ. There will be a Bible museum in the heart of Washington, D.C. that will stand for the scriptures. I just pray today that you've heard what I've said to you. Submit to the discipline of God. Give into his hand every part of your time, your energy, and your money. And know that God has already agreed with a servant in 1936 that he would fund the work of the gospel. So our focus now must be in prayer and scripture, in righteousness, reaching out in every way possible to the lost. And God will find the men and women to finance that. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. My brother, my sister, give your heart to Jesus Christ and read the scriptures. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of God. 